0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores art, film, and design around the world. Since 2011, we've been building an archive of voices and sounds that represent the evolving history of contemporary art and culture. Soon after launching Fresh Art, Miami, Florida became our home base. In fall 2019, we seized an opportunity to record a conversation about the city's contemporary art history from the 1990s to present. What better place to capture this history than inside Locust Project's art space in Miami? We sat down with Locust Projects director Lori Mertes and members of a homegrown artist collaborative known as FECU-OP. They came together in 1997. Founders Jason Ferguson, Christian Curiel, and Brandon Opalka joined us with the group's newest member, Victor Villafagny. You can hear the energy in the room. FECU-OP was in the midst of building out an immersive environment for a project they titled ANTENNA. Their first major collaborative project in Miami since 2003, the performative and interactive installation aimed to solicit auditory participation to create a social experience with communication at its core.
1: My name is Victor Viafany. I am an artist, designer, video production and various different creative mediums.
2: I'm based in Miami. I am Jason Ferguson, originally from Trinidad. I currently live in Hilton Head, South Carolina, but spent a lot of time in Miami with the four of these guys.
3: My name is Christian Curiel. I'm also from Miami. We all met going to undergraduate school here in Miami at a school where back then was called IFAC, or International Fine Arts College. Currently I'm residing in New Haven, Connecticut, where I'm currently teaching at Yale University and Southern State University. My name
4: is Brandon Opalka. I'm an artist in fake co-op and work out of Boulder, Colorado.
5: I'm Lori Mertes. I'm the executive director of Locust Projects.
4: Our first exhibition together was like 1998 at a gallery that we started ourselves called Upstairs Gallery with a friend of ours called Sherry Sedless who had a frame shop and she had a storeroom in the back where she just wasn't using it. So she uh, said she would let us do shows there. So we cleaned it up and put track lighting and started doing art shows there.
5: It was around the same time that Locust was founded. And I was like, it, as a curator in Miami at the Miami Art Museum at the time, I was just like, what the heck is going on? Hmm. What's in the the air here?
2: There was a lot of energy at that time. I mean, we the house was coming up. They had locust projects. We were coming out of art school without the opportunity to show anywhere, and I think we just
5: made your, own. Made yeah, your own. I
3: mean, I remember there were like you know shows happening in abandoned hotels. There were shows happening in people's private homes where they would take out all their furniture. Yeah, Henry Vargas. 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 Yeah, Ihenia Vargas. Ben Castro. Yeah. The the There was a lot of activity. There was a lot of like artists run, artists made for artists activity. And there was a lot of performative aspects to that. Just creating shows out of nothing was in itself sort of a performance collaborative spirit.
0: I wonder, did it connect in time with Art Basel coming here? Before that.
4: We had a show at the Botanical Gardens that we actually got ourselves And through the process, Art Basel, it was going to be the first year Art Basel came, but then 9-11 happened. So they couldn't get the shipping from Europe into Miami with all of the extra precautions of how the world was existing at that time. But we still had our show at the Botanical Gardens that year, even though Art Basel was canceled. That show called Blotter. Yeah. Blotter. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
4: Tiffany Chester came in as the curator. And the show still happened, even though Basel
3: was canceled. I I think one of the cool things about that moment was that all that energy of the expectation of this big art fair coming in, people still had that desire to go out and look at artwork, especially after what just happened. They needed a release and a relief. And I felt like that show was, we needed that at that moment in time.
5: The museums had just really started to carve out a space in terms of contemporary art in this community. MOCA had been really established after 1994, 95, 93, maybe early. MAM became a collecting institution in 1996, became the Miami Art Museum in 1996. So that opportunities to like create space to show yourself, because there were only those two museums. The Bass wasn't on the radar. There wasn't the, the kind of scale of Pan. But then you also had a few art galleries, like rocket projects. There were a few Kevin Brooke Gallery. There were all these things starting to swirl. Fred was still in the Gables at the time. Fred was still in the Gables, exactly.
3: In comparison to what Miami's becoming or has become now, it was just a very different Miami. I think it was very
2: grassroots is probably the term you want to say.
3: Uh, A lot of the
2: exhibitions we would go to were just... They were artists supported. I remember going to Locust and showing up to Locust, and it was literally a cooler of beer, and everybody in the community who were all artists that's who showed up.
5: <laughs> but a lot of you also worked in the museums. I, right. I met it's some true. of you working
0: it's in. True. You know, I've been hearing that a lot. The the, so they got the to artists meet. that were doing the installations, but, but and the, the this sort
5: of generation got to meet and work alongside some of the top artists who were coming into this community. They had more access than the public.
3: I mean, it was also access to artists that were not from Miami. You know, like yeah. I remember yeah. working John at the museum. Where, yeah, <laughs> or like Peter dorig I remember seeing and Peter dorig's yeah. paintings yeah. for the first time. Yeah. We all, all that stuff. We oh, yeah. were being fed things that a lot of people were not. Probably, you know, so it felt very ingrained into the bloodline of what Miami was starting to become.
0: Right here, right now, what is Miami going to experience?
3: I think
2: just coming back and doing something twenty years later at Lucas Projects, that which was part of our community at the time, is something that is important, and to show those younger artists, to show Miami that how important this institute is to us culturally as artists growing up in this community.
3: It has a bit of a nostalgic essence to it. Us being friends for so long and have throughout the years maintained a really close, deep relationship amongst each other. I mean, to this day, we have, well, I don't know how many millions of messages. We we email and message each other all the time, even if we don't talk in person. Or FaceTime. So so I I think in a lot of ways, that might have influenced the content of this exhibition, which is. Basically rooted and based in this idea of communication,
0: the big metaphor for that is an antenna you're constructing. Right, That's where will crashed. that be?
3: It's uh, currently, you know, taking up the whole entire main space, uh, sort of running in an angle from the moment you enter the space. The antenna has taken on its own personality as it's being constructed so it's a very organic process that happens in the space communicating or not communicating or having issues with it it's just a a constant flow of ideas and interchange amongst four people that have completely different backgrounds completely different things to put to the table
1: it's chaos finding its way to a concise and refined point right now where we've gone past that the kinks, getting together, regrouping as friends, having our ups and downs, and finding a point where we're all in unison about what we're gonna end up presenting and and putting together for everybody.
5: But one of the things that's a constant is the audience is gonna be engaged by whatever space or elements you create. Do you guys wanna talk a little bit about that? How
0: would the audience be engaged?
4: The antenna also has a theremin element where the theremin is an instrument that's played by like the motion of human, like your body being like mostly water and like how water becomes a conductor of this antenna. And so like it actually has like a physical theremin on the antenna that's creating sounds of the people in the room. And there's also an element where we're working with the Miami Light Project doing a performance with dancers that are going to be choreographing a stage set within the room around the antenna. And
1: the unifying thought is communication. You know, whether it's a communication breakdown or a communication in sync, it's definitely going to have those elements of what it means to have people interact with each other and be willing to create something together.
4: I think it's important the fact that there's four of us collaborating and when we talk about making art and like how this project is going to mean four different things to the four of us differently and like acknowledging how the viewer comes in and how they're gonna interpret it is also something that we think about. I believe that every person brings their own baggage of art history and what they know and things that they've experienced and what communication means to them. So we're we're basically just setting up this installation that provokes people's own opinions on what it means to them. We're producing a zine that's cataloging all of the process of the installation and the process that we've been experiencing creatively. So the zine's gonna be an example of a lot of that working out the process and is going to kind of explain
1: that to the community. Jason's going to be bringing his father, Dr. Theodore Ferguson. So my dad used to be a university lecturer.
2: He lived in South Africa for about six years. It was shortly after apartheid and he started to develop a program which he now calls a leadership development program. He saw the need while he was in South Africa for a lot of the young black community to, they were looking for leadership. They were oppressed for so long, so there was a need for them to give them that opportunity to show that they can be leaders. So he started writing a few books back then, and then it became a program, and now he developed a company around that, and he's been teaching his leadership development theories across the Caribbean, he's been all over the United States, he's been to Europe, South Africa, and and a bunch of other places. So
0: what is he bringing here?
2: He's worked with uh, myself, Chris, and Brandon. He used to do a thing that he calls Brain Day. He loves working with young people, he loves especially working with artists. And where it was, we were allowed to sort of express ourselves in different ways. He would bring different questions to the table, and we were able to express our creative visions through conversations among ourselves. I think, I think for the first time, if these guys agree with me, we were just became very open to to the things that we were saying to each other.
1: We learned a lot. Yeah. Well, I hope that it also inspires the art community as a whole to reinstitute a gathering place.
0: So bring back that informal coming together that you guys grew up in as artists. I I hope hope the
3: show, if I had a final thought, was just that, you know, hope to inspire your artists. Art isn't always just an individual practice, that it could be something that could be collaborated and created an even larger idea.
1: And that the actual exhibition space is a spot to gather at. You know, Locust Projects, when it was a little warehouse space with this alley corridor, was such an uh, exciting place to just find yourself in that people did find themselves there and found themselves there a lot.
0: In early 2021, we invite members of FECUAP to talk about how much has changed since they staged their interactive live and in-person project in Miami. Shortly after Antenna closed, the global coronavirus pandemic shut down the art world for most of a year, transforming how we experience art today.
2: It was really interesting to see that community back together again. We saw all our old friends that we have been collaborating with or having conversations with in the past. All those guys came through
4: and showed up.
1: It was definitely a gathering, both the installation and the actual exhibition, seeing faces you haven't seen in a while.
4: Jason's father came in from Trinidad and did a talk about being creative. That was really special.
2: I've seen a lot of people in this world who don't even know who they are, and they live lives as directed by others. I've also discovered that if you don't know yourself, there are always people out there who will happily take control of you and tell you what to do. And that leaves to a lot of the challenges and problems and atrocities that we've had in this world. Comes out of the fact that some people believe that they have a divine right to control others. But as human beings, we also have a right to control ourselves. And my little chat with you today is going to focus around that area. Okay, this is what the show is all about.
4: The artist talk that we had uh, with Lori was pretty cool too, with Robert Chambers. And the performance we did with the Miami Light was really unique for us because we normally just worked with each other. And that was cool to have a real choreographer with a real dancer and all of that inside the space.
0: privilege it was to be able to do that looking back now only months later the world changed forever. I
3: think the show was about communication wasn't it it was about communication too much communication or too little it was an antenna.
1: Yeah there was touch involved a lot of interaction those things you can't do now.
2: There's a certain level of intimacy that is involved in our work that we have tried to carry out through all of our series of works that we've
3: collaborated on. I do feel that this whole pandemic situation, you have to think differently.
0: What has happened for you as a collaborative since last year?
2: We're looking at new ways of approaching art and
1: collaborative ways of doing it Mm -hmm. digital. Mm There's a lot of talk about the virtual space. The digital world has been a part of everything for so long, but now it's taking so much emphasis. We're all considering it in this serious sphere. COVID sort of like it just flattened our human experience. For a while there, we all knew what everyone else was doing, even if we contacted someone in Italy or in Hungary or across the state, it was like we were all locked in at home.
3: So it opened up this ability to create artwork in different variants at different stages. I still don't think there's anything that will ever take place of looking at a painting in real life and understanding the textures within it. If this whole pandemic situation has opened up an ability for a different language, why not try to figure that out? And to that point, we're always constantly talking, trying to
2: come up with new ideas, new approaches, new things to explore. We're in constant communication every
1: day.
0: This is the Fresh Art International Podcast. I'm Kathy Byrd. Our conversations in person and online with Laurie Mertes, Jason Ferguson, Christian Curiel, Brandon Opalka, and Victor Villafagny reveal that the creative impulse is alive and well, no matter what the extenuating circumstances. If anything, the global response to the coronavirus has given us a deeper understanding of their project. In the past year, both the light and the dark side of human behavior has surfaced in unexpected ways. The world has begun to more openly confront some of the unconscious patterns that drive our biases and shape our choices. In the process, art has played a profound role. Visualizing and Voicing the Value of Relationships, Collaboration, and Community. If you like what you're hearing, please take a few minutes to rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you go to listen. Follow us on social media at FreshArtINTL. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, and listeners like you, make Fresh Art International possible. Visit our site to learn more and explore the podcast archive we've been building since 2011. While you're there, sign up for our latest news and give a donation to support these stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.